Every day, we rise, challenging ourselves to work for what we believe in. At U.S. Border Patrol, protecting our borders is more than a job. It's a calling. Agents answer the call, working together to keep our country and communities safe. If you are ready for a new mission, join U.S. Border Patrol and go beyond. Learn more at cbp.gov slash careers. Recorded live. Greetings, everyone. This is Natasha Pellick. I am coming at you from Pennsylvania. And today on this show, as soon as he gets opted in, I'm going to be joined by Christopher London. He is a New York City attorney who's been very vocal recently in a whole bunch of different subjects that really pique my interest, um, one of which is his thoughts on our current president. And so as soon as I get him on the call, we're going to begin. Um, But just to give you a little background on why I'm doing this, um, there has been times in my life in which I felt really compelled to voice my opinion about things. And for a, a long time, I felt really, really choked up about it. I wasn't able to really express myself or any of my thinking. I ended up going to Penn State and got a telecommunications degree just to kind of smooth out the edges of my communication. And um, it just took me a little bit to get to Meglin White, who's my vocal coach. And she ended up helping me a lot um, just as my roommate and great friend. Um, She was able to really guide me on dropping into my voice and expressing myself. And so the intention of this call is that, you know, since we have such a hostile environment in our country today with this divisiveness between people that have voted for Donald Trump and people that have voted against him and sort of like treating each other um, sort of with this sort of dismissive behavior, um, that's kind of why... I decided to go ahead and say, you know what, I think it's time for us to to call. So um, I'm recording this talk right now uh, to do this. Okay, so Chris is trying to get in to the call. Um, he just has to dial in here. I'm trying to help him. So, yeah, I actually haven't used this platform for a long, long time. It wasn't, I, and it was the only one that I knew that could actually record calls and people could actually chime in and text and things like that. And, you know, a lot of things are overly complicated nowadays where, I mean, even just live streaming, like I'd like to do multiple people on a live stream, but there's something nostalgic about just doing regular radio that I really like. So, um, the subjects for today are going to be a few um, that I listed earlier. It's going to be the President Trump, the Enlightenment, and our freedom and what our freedom means. So that's what we're going to be discussing. Um, as Chris London is opting in, I'm not sure who else is on the call right now. I will say hello to you, though. 
So um, when I was younger, I used to actually do some of these radio shows with myself, and I used to actually record them on my little, like, mini boom boxes. Let's see if I can get him in on this call. I figured this would be easy for him to do. I invited him a couple times. Can you make it into the call? Just one thing about having a real studio and actually having people physically come into the studio and you're able to see them eye to eye actually have a real conversation with them. So if anything, um, I might have them download just a recording cell phone app um, if you can't get into this so we can have a conversation. One of the reasons I really want to talk to Chris and have this conversation recorded for the show is that he is so politically vocal and he has so many interesting things to say that it's just it's just absolutely fascinating to me um, to hear his different perceptions. And right now, coincidentally, they happen to be in opposition. Normally, I agree with sort of like this sort of like um, intellectual New York sort of thinking, but my a lot of my friends in New York City um, have sort of like this sort of stance. Uh, it's you know, some things are some things are in opposition of um, really where I where I stand, you know, as you know where I am, and maybe it's because I'm from Pennsylvania. Maybe I, I don't know, you know. But what what the purpose of this show is is to line up and like figure out where do we agree, where do we disagree, where is the real debate at, so we can kind of edge towards an actual solution um, psychologically, you know, because I've just been seeing so many people having so many incredible issues uh, with with what's what's going on today, and they've completely lost faith in the system. And so earlier this year, um, I actually did a, a social experiment before the election about what would happen if the election was somewhat under attack and what areas would go into attack just based on the uh, data. And we got some really interesting results, still leaning towards Donald Trump winning the presidency, even if the numbers were somewhat under attack. He would have still won. And it's based off of the formula with the Electoral College, just how things are things are calculated in in our democracy or in our in our republic. Okay, so I don't see Chris on. I've been on for eight minutes. He's probably scrambling on his phone trying to figure this out. So I'm gonna have to guide him. I thought it was just uh click a button and it worked. So I don't know who if anybody else is on because there is a an app And, uh, it's just not working. <sighs> okay, so I just don't know. I'm going to play some music instead. <laughs> Thank <laughs> you. 
Natasha, this is Chris. Natasha, this is Chris. Hello, Natasha, this is Chris. Hey, oh my God, you made it. Yeah, very complicated. <laughs> it's first time I, you know, I didn't th- think it was going to take this long to get in. Wow, I'm so I'm so happy right now. I, it was okay. I was able to talk to myself for a few minutes. <laughs> Sorry about that. <clears throat> so this is our first show. Um, are you uh, are you ready? I'm ready. <laughs> so I haven't had a, a real opportunity to introduce you. Um, I had been talking about you, and I know that you and I have had a lot of great political discussions throughout the years. And Absolutely. I noticed that you and I might have some op- opposing views at the moment. Right. So yeah. I, on some level, yes, yeah. On some level. Yes, and some of us know. And so I figured what better opportunity than to have an actual, you know, debate uh, on the radio. (laughs) Makes sense. Yeah, it makes sense because that's the American thing to do, right? Absolutely. And not not specifically hate each other after the debate. That's that's the part that's not good. That's the part that's not good with what's going on right now is that people are holding different views and then having contempt for the person rather than, rather than having, trying to persuade the other person. And that's the art. The art, the, art, the art is persuasion. And if you want to persuade somebody to your way of thinking or to have them come around to your way of thinking, you have to persuade them. And you have to, you have to do with facts and perspective. And a lot of people aren't prepared to do that. They're just prepared to say, this is what I believe, and I hate your guy or I love my guy, and if you don't like him, then you're a schmuck, and I don't want to know you. So, 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 Christopher London, you are a New York City attorney. You're a political col- columnist. Well, I mean, you're a writer. You're a political writer. For, writer, I guess, attorney. Yeah. And, and actually, and actually, uh, and actually, in my youth, the former Trump Organization employee. You were a Trump Organization employee. Yep. I actually right. drew a paycheck from the Trump Organization when it was run by Donald's father, Fred Trump. Well, wow, that's interesting. So today's topic 
will be President Trump, Enlightenment, and the Art of Finding Freedom. So, well, with the, three topics all not really connected to one another. I'm just kidding. <laughs> well, that's not always. I mean, that's one of the things that I tend to do is I take juxtaposed things and they find ways of bridging them together, which because of the civil unrest that we're being, uh, that we're experiencing today, you know, it could be perceived as one or two things. So if we're going to jump right into President Trump and how he's perceived nationally versus globally and whether or Mm -hmm. not there is strength and whether or not there is a real argument about whether or not he's a legitimate president. So do you see the president today globally is having a perception of strength and if not I'd like to ask you why I currently at the present time and given that I had actually tried to support him through the Republican primaries um, I had a predisposition towards being highly supportive of Trump because initially I think I might might have misperceived his candidacy and, and believed like a lot of people, that he was just really here to crash the two-party system and really shake things up. And there's an element of that going on. But, you know, in terms of what's happening now, you know, I think his real, I think his real drawback is, is not something that people are focusing on. The real drawback to his presidency is a real lack of intellectual curiosity um, and, and, and a seemingly un... You know, he's a master of, of, of social media, and there's no doubt about that. He's a master manipulator, a master of social media, the master of social media. That's how he became president. But my concern is with his intellectual curiosity beyond those subjects that he did not make money from. And at times, it, 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 it's unnerving. And I think, I mean, I'll give an example. I mean, it's not that, not, not that this itself makes his presidency less relevant, but I have a friend who works for a startup that's a therapy startup. Instead of going to a therapist, you know, you pay into the system and you get a certain number of minutes or hours a month uh, with a therapist online. And so you have like a Skype call with a therapist daily. And I don't remember the name of the company right now, but Trump has been great for their business. They are employing more therapists than ever before. People have tremendous anxiety over his presidency. So, in that regard, yeah, he, he's caused an economic boom in therapy. So that's a lot, a lot, a lot of a lot of people. I mean, you know, we look on Facebook every day. I'd say a good fifty to sixty percent of the posts that are not cat videos are probably something related to Donald Trump. And that's brilliant. So, I mean, I would say that previous to our current president, people were sleeping. And there was people sitting in, as you know, over down on Wall Street, for Occupy Wall Street, trying to wake people up and trying to rally them to some sort of level of awakening. And then it doesn't look like this coincidence that now that everyone's awake, they're, they're experiencing these sort of different emotions and these different sort of um, alignments that they weren't aware of before. It's, like, it's almost like their mind is opening to these different faculties in their brains you know, to tuning in to their own personal responsibility. It's not necessarily an external responsibility. It's now internalized. And so it's interesting that you have metrics on online therapy specifically based on how people are reacting to the current entity 
that's in charge of our freedom. And, and it's, it's, it's fascinating. It's fascinating to hear that. So yeah, I well, technically, to... technically nothing, if you think about it, part of what you just said, not to interrupt you, is actually accurate. Nothing has truly changed dramatically other than a different guy in the White House from, say, seven months ago. We have, or six or seven months ago. It's not like there's been an economic transformation. It's not like the world has changed. Nothing, so, you know, so as much as you can't say that he's responsible for any positive economic activity that's positive, you obviously can't blame him for the state of the way things are right now either. So if what you're saying is people are finally awakening, they're awakening to a condition that existed prior to him even getting into office. Exactly. So we're definitely on the same page there. So you use this new word, the Trumpenzies. <laughs> yeah, that, that, that was, that, you know, that's, that's, yeah, I've used that word. It's not my word. It's, uh, and it's actually not u- a useful word, actually, to, to persuade people, to, to, to bring them around to your side. So it's probably not a word I should be using. You know, it, 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 it actually dilutes the value of what I have to say that's critical because anybody who supports, there are people who supported Trump who know full well, and I have friends who support him knowing full well that they don't like every aspect of his persona. There's one issue. They want a smaller government. And anybody that gets into office that's going to reduce the size of government and put more money back into people's hands as opposed to putting in bureaucrats' hands, they'll vote for him on that one issue. And, and, and so that's the thing that people need to understand, that not everybody who supported Trump was blind, you know, uh, an invalid or didn't have a high IQ, there are a lot of people who believe that they don't want to put intellectual into office who wants to expand the size of government. Because no matter how smart and how polished they looked, that's going to hurt. People don't want to pay a lot more taxes. And so I think that's that's fair. I mean, some people are looking for their president to be this aristocrat and to be very sophisticated. And some people, bottom line, are just like, I don't want this government to grow anymore. Okay, so you are not one to just use certain words, but you have you just admitted that you use certain words to kind of have people jump on sort of this um this train. Shock and awe, yeah. The shock the shock and awe. Well I mean that's that's the same that's the same sort of like psychological uh you know works that you see anyone else perform in order to kind of gain you know, uh, momentum or whatever agenda that they may have. I always actually saw you as someone that uh, is, is, would be a really good shoe-in for um, an elected official, you know, in, in the city of New York. I know that elections are coming up again. Have you ever participated in a, in a campaign? Yeah, I've worked on campaigns on, on both sides. Yeah, My first vote was actually when I was at college at BU. I didn't vote for Reagan or Carter. I voted for... Uh, a guy by the name of John Anderson, who most people will not remember, was the first, you know, like one of the first, you know, really big-time independent candidates for, for, for president. And leading up to that election, he was like, you know, he, he was doing a lot better in the polls than, ever, than Ross Perot ever did, but, you know, he ended up collapsing closer to the election. So, the, you know, my first vote was for John Anderson. The first political campaign I actually volunteered on was Reagan in 84, I also volunteered on Dukakis's campaign briefly, the Clinton campaign I worked on for like you know over a year, um, Al Gore, 
Um, and I've supported, you know, and I've, and, I, and I've supported Republicans as well. It's, you know, supporting a New York Republican is sort of, it's not, it's not as big a deal. A Rockefeller Republican. My mom was, a, you know, was from a, you know, working class union family and she was a Rockefeller Republican. So there was a time when it wasn't so unusual for a New Yorker to vote for Republican versus a Democrat. So it's just a really interesting time when there's a lot of people that have a lot of anxiety over our freedom and what, what freedom means and what, what do you think? I mean, like, it's been seven months since President Trump has been in office. Do you feel more or less free? Um, that's a hard one because, I, I, you know, I really believe a lot more of the a lot more of the clamping down on freedom was really done under the last two administrations. I mean, the, the police prison surveillance state really grew. I mean, it, you know, it really grew under Bush, Cheney, and, and Obama. And, you know, in terms, of, in terms of where we are today, you know, I mean, we're, we're way further along, you know, in terms of, you know, now it's even a threat to the very guy, you know, very, the, the very executive. And, and this is sort of, and I want to, to stop and ramble, stop my rambling for a second. This is sort of a point I made the other day. Everybody is for the law and order guy and law and order candidates always cheering for police, that there can never be enough policing. And in the face of excessive policing, people are always like, well, we need more policing. We need to support them. And anything that's sort of a thoughtful nuance backing away from that, saying, hey, maybe the police power in our society has too much power. Maybe NSA has too much surveillance capabilities. Maybe, you know, if I'm going for a job, you know, a contract or a temporary job, I shouldn't have to, you know, have them do a background check on me going back to, you know, going back 25 years or have them know, you know, have them, you know, know every, you know, there's a limit of information, but there's so much information being gathered by the government and by employers. You know, speaking of Occupy Wall Street, anybody who was down there knows that there were these guys with big, expensive cameras. And as a, as a guy who's been a photographer, I can tell you that those photos being taken were likely not by just some journalist shooting photos for the New York Times or, or some other media outlet. We have facial recognition technology. And, and I think that there, there's probably some sort of indexing of societal undesirables or, or people who are regularly at these sort of demonstrations. And I think sometimes it, if it doesn't hurt somebody today, Maybe it'll hurt them 15 years from now, when they're far along and they're going for uh, they're going for, for a job at a, a particular company, and there's an index available to certain kinds of large-scale employers, and they could pull up and say, "Hey, there was Chris London in 19, you know, in 19, 2000 and X, 2008, 2009. He's been in all these demonstrations. He's a counterculturalist. I don't want this guy in my company." So I think there's a, there's a, there's a there's, there's an unprecedented level of data collection out there. And I get concerned, even if he was not responsible for it, when any leader starts talking about the fact that there's not enough policing power. So, listen, if we fast forward 17 years, that means that there's a millennial that's fully grown that would be in that position with access to that intel. And there's nothing that you can do to tell me or convince me that that, that person wouldn't want someone that is a little bit against the grain to be in a position of power because 
we are in the information age. We are in the age of um, of debate and of availability of of of, uh, of of thinking. And if there's like an artistic renaissance happening at this very moment, so anyone that is showing up at these different countercultural events, I mean, in my perception, it's a it's a positive thing. And it's actually know, a positive thing. I, I don't disagree with you. I, I don't think my generation is going to be the one fifty fifty five. My generation is not going to be the one to change this country because there are too many people who are hanging on towards retirement or if they're not, if they're not hanging on at one company towards retirement, they're popping around and doing consulting work for different clients and they're hoping, they're hoping to like, you know, be able to weather the storm and earn an income as long, to, to support as long as they may have to live or as long as they may be alive. And a lot of people are economically vulnerable from the standpoint of they may not have the ability to work to support themselves as long as they might otherwise live. Uh, so the gen- it's going to be it's going to be it's going to be the generation of people who were in their teens and twenties during Occupy Wall Street that are really going to help transform this country. Yeah, and actually, I don't know. There might be a trend of people sort of contributing their lives back to jobs that have pensions. I don't know if that's even possible, remotely possible at all. But I'm seeing these different shifts, even in the seven months that Pre- President Trump has been in office. You know, I, I don't even know if I could build a house in seven months, you know, but I am seeing some serious movement. I am, I was very interested. One of the things that really provoked me to have this call with you was the fact that Foxconn is moving its facility to one of its facilities, the United States, and so we're going to be building our own iPhones and our iPads in-house. And I, I find that to be kind of fascinating, you know, that we are going to be building that kind of stuff here uh, in the country, and, and there's going to be an emphasis on artificial intelligence and, you know, having it hubbed here. We have, like, such an incredible um, system for collegiate education. I can't really say that for public education, but I see a lot of positive things happening. Um, what are your thoughts on the Foxconn facility moving moving here? Well, I used to, I used to have a, a retort to that, is that with, with globalization, that on one hand, while it would be a positive if we ever got to the stage where we were building iPhones in the United States, the negative would be that we now have factory workers building iPhones in a, in a cage plant. If you know anything about Foxconn, in a cage plant where you, you live 24-7, you work 14 hours a day, they feed you pork and rice twice a day, and, you know, when you can't take it anymore, you want to jump off, jump out the floor and, jump, you know, jump into a safety net. And it, despite all that, despite all that, despite all that, Mitt Romney was right. There are lines of people still trying to get those jobs in China. So when people can no longer work, they die, or whatever. There are people who are looking to replace those people. So the positive, the positive is those technology jobs coming here. The negative is that maybe wages have collapsed so much that now it makes sense to make, it, make things here. But on the other hand, the truth of the matter is, Germany, for example, the German car companies can't make as much profit building VWs, Audis, and BMWs, you know, BMWs and Mercedes in Germany because the, the, the German worker has a much higher, much higher hourly wage, much, much greater benefits than, they, than, than the American auto worker. So, you know, a lot of the cars that you're buying now may not, quote, unquote, be American, but they're being made by Americans because it's cheaper for foreign companies to have those cars built in the United States and is that have them built overseas. 
So I think that 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 in general is a positive. Um, but you know, they, all these jobs are for for you know, with wages have plummeted and worker rights have plummeted. The question is going to be, with a country that's running out of lands and property and housing, you know, are the people who do those jobs, even if they work 50, 60 hours a week, ever going to be able to buy in the American into the American dream, or is the American dream going to be defined as owning a, a micro-apartment that's 250 square feet, you know, in, 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 in Indiana, much less New York. So the mini-house movement, is, is the goal going to be that, you know, you work 70 hours a week and you, and you live in a mini-house, you know, rather than, you know, a normal house? And if that's the American dream, maybe, it's going to be, maybe that's the American dream that's going to be redefined. But I think I good- in general... Well, I have a friend that just visited the Facebook facility out in uh, in California. She came in from South Africa, and she spent some time in New York, and then she went out to the Palo Alto area. And it was amazing. And, and not only was that facility amazing, I mean, the facilities in New York City and some of the startup communities are amazing. And so there's the culture of technology is not going to be the same in China as it is here in the United States, you know? I mean, we're the ones that came up with all the ideas to begin with, you know, as far as these different technologies. And more so on the, on the business intelligence side. So actually having the plants physically here, I think is a huge opportunity. No, I, I, agree, I agree 100% with you. And I think the next key that you're, you're going to go keep getting into is, yes, we built them all here, but the next key is going to be through immigration is to make sure that immigration keeps up and keeps and give, keeps giving America an advantage. And what I'm saying by that is until education picks up that we're educating enough of the, the future world scientists in our inside our country at our, at our at our high schools and colleges and and even un, you know and even you know even, even uh, earlier stages uh, you know that until that happens that every incentive is given to the top entrepreneurs who may be graduating from Stanford or someplace else and maybe, and maybe are not citizens, that every incentive is given to the best and brightest, whether they're born here or not, to build their future here in the United States and, and build their enterprise here and give them an incentive to bring their families here if they become rich here, rather than having this, this culture of people being afraid of difference and then having all these top entrepreneurs that graduate from American schools say, you know what, I don't want to live in a country that's intolerant of people who practice my religion or people who have uh, or, or who look like me. I'm going to go back to the Middle East. I'm going to go back to China. I'm going to go back wherever. So part of it's going to be is going to try to, be, to re-educate Americans to have them understand that that the American that comes here to go to school, who's not American when he lands here, but he decides to build his business here and become an American citizen. It's just as American as, as, as the daughters of the American Revolution because your next job that your child may come from, your child may be born in Ohio to people who came off the Mayflower, but that child may be working for a guy who, who, who came here from China or from, or from the Middle East. He may be a Muslim. You know, he may be you know, a Buddhist, whatever. And so that's, that's an important thing to understand that you can't close off immigration and have people terrified of, of foreigners and difference because – the next job opportunity that you may get or that may, or may take you for a good portion of your life 
may be provided to somebody who's completely different than you, but is now in the process or has become an American citizen. That's interesting. So we are at that time in the show where we have done this for a half an hour successfully. How, what was your first experience like here uh, on the radio or talk show? It was excellent because it was with you. And, uh, you know, you are, you, you, you get all the nuances. And, you know, I, I learned, I, you know, I'm learned, my learning right now is coming from people in your, in your generation. Uh, there's less learning up the food chain. I mean, I have, I can tell you the past, but right now there's a lot of learning. And if you want to be connected, if you want to be connected to what's going on, the enlightenment is coming out of people in your age group and, and lower. So I'm, I'm happy that you included me in this talk show. Be pleased to do it with you again. I would hope that we do it every Thursday at 8 p.m. <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. All right, great. Well, you have yourself a wonderful commute back to Queens, and thank you so much for your time and, and your wisdom, and uh, I look forward to connecting with you again soon. Thank you, Ms. Block. Have a good night, Natasha. You too. Bye-bye.
Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. DTW, avoid, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.